from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to remind you to check out our podcast for Rich Valdez, America at Night. You can get it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, but check it out. If you missed any of the interviews, you can uh, see what's going on there. And uh, today, President Biden was talking about the uh, balloons and what happened with these balloons and these other unidentified flying objects, and apparently... There's a hobby club that's missing a balloon, and they're fearing that this may have been shot down by the United States Air Force. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. This is actual uh, a, a real thing. Uh, so I want you to listen to this clip from President Joe Biden uh, discussing what we think we shot down. Listen to this. Our military, through the North American Aerospace Defense Command, so-called NOR- NORAD, closely scrutinized uh, the, uh, our airspace, including enhancing our radar to pick up more slow-moving objects above our country, around the world. In doing so, they uh, tracked three unidentified objects, one in Alaska, Canada, and over Lake Huron in the Midwest. They acted in accordance with established parameters for determining how to deal with unidentified aerial objects in U.S. airspace. At their recommendation, I gave the order to take down these three objects due to hazards to civilian commercial air traffic and because we could not rule out the surveillance risk of sensitive facilities. We acted in consultation with the Canadian government. I spoke personally with Prime Minister Trudeau and Kent from Canada on Saturday. And just as critically, we acted out of an abundance of caution and an opportunity that allowed us to take down these these objects safely. All right, so that's President Joe Biden discussing the um, the situation with these balloons. Now, this hobby company, they're saying, "Look, we were uh, we had our balloon up in the sky, and all of a sudden, uh, we don't know what's going on. It's a small globe-trotting balloon <laughs> that's been declared missing in action by an Illinois-based hobby club on February fifteenth, and they're saying uh, we think that this may have been shot down by heat-seeking missiles launched by the U.S. Air Force." Uh, fighters on February 10th, uh, the club, the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, NIBBB, is not pointing fingers just yet, but the circumstantial evidence is intriguing at best. They're saying the, their silver-coated party-style Pico balloon reported its last position on February 10th at 38,910 feet off of the west coast of Alaska, and a popular forecasting tool the uh, high-split model provided by the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, projected the cylindrically shaped object would be floating high over the central part of the Yukon Territory on February 11th. That's the same day a Lockheed Martin F-22 shot down an unidentified object of a similar description and altitude in the same general area. There are suspicions amongst the 
uh, members of the small Pico ballooning enthusiast community, <laughs> which combines ham radio and high altitude ballooning into a single relatively affordable hobby, uh, saying that this might be their balloon. I tried contacting our military and the FBI and just got the runaround to try and enlighten them on what these types of things probably are. And they're going to look not so intelligent by shooting them down, says Ron Meadows, the founder of Scientific Balloon Solutions, a Silicon Valley company that makes uh, purpose-built Pico balloons for hobbyists, educators, and scientists. So that's what's going on. Now, these balloons, listen to this. Uh, the, the description of these unidentified objects shot down February 10th through 12th matched the shapes, altitudes, and payloads of the small Pico balloons, which can usually be purchased for 12 to 180 bucks each, depending on the type. Uh, Mr. Medlin says, uh, I'm guessing they probably were Pico balloons. He's a retired FedEx engineer and co-host of the Amateur Radio ta- uh, Roundtable Show. Mount Medlin also has three Pico balloons in flight in the northern and southern hemispheres. Aviation Week contacted the host of government agencies, including the uh, a host of government agencies, I should say, including the FBI, North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD, the National Security Council, and the Office of the Secretary of Defense for comment about the possibility of their Pico balloons being shot down. The NSC did not respond with repeated requests. The FBI and the... Um, OSD did not acknowledge that the harmless Pico balloons are being considered as possible identities for the mystery objects shot down by the Air Force. So look at that. It's not Joe Biden going after aliens. It's not extraterrestrials. It seems it's hobby enthusiasts that are flying balloons and using walkie-talkies and ham radio. And voila, we have our uh, invasion from China. I mean, I got to tell you, This is fascinating to me. Now, yes, China did come in, and it seems that they made it very clear that these other balloons were not from China, or at least they couldn't. They could totally say, we don't know where they're from. And it seems like I think I was right when I said, looks like Biden kept saying, hey, Jill, go get my shotgun. I want to start shooting these down, putting on his aviator shades and playing Top Gun to look tough, to look like he's accomplished something. He's taken the bull by the horns. Joel Baboso Biden. Well, anyway, there we are. It looks like, uh, I mean, again, like the article says, it's circumstantial evidence. Anyway, I also want to give you an update on a, a train. Another train was derailed. Another, I think it was a, a Norfolk Southern train uh, near Detroit, Michigan. And on the site of the current train that's derailed, the head of the EPA was on deck today. And guess what? When they offered him a glass of water, he said, no, thank you. Didn't want to drink the tap water in East Palestine, but says it's okay for everybody else to drink it. And there is a former NFL player, Eric Johnson, who played six seasons of NFL from 2000 to 2005. He's among eight accused and arrested today of trafficking four women, human trafficking charges, one girl as well as other gang-related charges, and that happened earlier today, Thursday. Uh, Attorney General Chris Carr says the Lotto gang members are facing, that's the name of their gang, are facing charges of trafficking of persons for sexual servitude, violation of the Street Gang Terrorism and Prevention Act, conspiracy to violate the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, RICO, 
aggravated assault, and kidnapping, and that's according to Fox 5 Atlanta. All eight were indicted by a grand jury on February 8th, and the announcement uh, came forth with today. Now, uh, Mr. Carr said that all eight members of the gang were uncovered following a month-long investigation. He alleges that the gang known as Lotto, L-O-T-T-O, engaged in human trafficking for money to support their members as well as purchase weapons, amongst other things. Now, the indictment on the Lotto gang is extensive as it's found 41 predicate and overt acts that were committed between October 21 and July of 22. In there, it said that the gang kept women who they trafficked under control through violence and held them against their will. Wow. Not a good look in any way. Now, straight ahead, we're going to get to a survivor of human trafficking. She's an author and an advocate now, Andy Berger. And uh, she's from Voices Against Trafficking. We're going to connect with her and discuss what's going on with the Epstein documents. They were supposed to be made public. We still don't know what's going on. Are we actually ever going to get this client list? We're going to get to that and more with her. Plus, a little bit later, we're going to have a, a, a conversation on, can your smart speaker spy on you? Well, you're about to find out. Anyway, don't go anywhere. Do not move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number is 833, I almost forgot it, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. If you want to call in the next few minutes to discuss human trafficking, you're welcome to do so. Our guest is Andy Berger. She's uh, the head of Voices Against Trafficking. That's VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Andy Berger, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rich. It's an honor to be here. And on behalf of Voices Against Trafficking, we just appreciate being on the program tonight. Uh, you know, we had a very special connection to Jim, and he spoke so respectfully of you. So we're just thrilled to be able to speak with you tonight and your listeners. Thank you. Amen to that. Uh, it's an honor to be here and an honor to speak with you as well. And I, I think this is um, this is one of the the things that I, I like to talk about because I feel it's so often underreported and under discussed in the national discourse. I think we don't often pay enough attention to what's happening and, and lots of things happen. But I remember being a kid at quick sidebar here. And I remember every September, my mother would force me to watch this movie called Adam that came out on TV. And it was every year, like right before school started and she'd sit there and she'd be like, you know, they're stealing little kids. And I was like, all right, I don't want to watch this movie, mom. But the <laughs> point was, you know, she she was she made a point to, to impress that upon me. And it's never gone away. And I realized they do steal kids, right? And they steal all sorts of people. And they, they do things with these people. And, you know, as I become uh, as I became an adult and a parent and, and uh, I realized, 
man, this is serious. You know, some of these people get jacked for their organs. Uh, some of them are put into slavery for sex. Some of them are put into slavery for all sorts of things. And it, it's a bizarre world. And when you don't do these things, you don't think they're happening. But it, it takes people like you that have survived this, have been through this, have been a victim of this, and now are an advocate to prevent it that I think you, you're the expert. So I really want to hand it over to you, and I want to talk about Epstein. I want to talk about this NF, former NFL player and this lotto gang, but I really want to get your story as well. So tell me why you're involved in this to begin with. Absolutely, Rich. Thank you for that. And you're so you're very right. You're right on the mark with all of those comments. But uh, for your listeners, yes, I am a survivor from ages six months to 17 years old. I was trafficked by immediate and some extended family members wow. before there ever was a term called human trafficking. And familial trafficking is even harder to get reporting from victims and even harder to uh, rescue victims. Uh, a lot of times it goes on for generations. So uh, basically in the early 60s and 70s, uh, there wasn't, people weren't even talking about child abuse. You know, as a kid, you didn't hear about that and adults just swept things under the rug. But by the age of five, the uh, abuse, torture, all that stuff was so intense. Uh, my birth mother said she could take me out any time, and I thought I would beat her to the punch. So that was my first attempt at suicide. Wow. Well, let's I walk went, through that because I want the listeners to really understand the sure. the severity of this. So you were living with your family, with your birth mother, and you tried yes. to kill yourself because they were trying to traffic you? Well, they they were uh, sexually violating and and uh, physically, mentally, emotionally abusing me, beating me constantly and my birth brother. And so they, uh, I was locked up for months at a time, not allowed to go out, you know, anywhere and things like that. Plus, uh, I had a speech impediment, so I was constantly being called stupid and retarded, things like that. So that whole thing, but uh, basically she said I was the problem. If I wasn't there, everything would be better. But basically, my birth mother was the uh, sexual predator and orchestrator of everything evil in our family unit. And my birth father, brother, and other people just went along with it. So again, you know, there wasn't any talk about that kind of stuff in those days. So uh, if mm -hmm. I went to an uncle's house or the uncle came over and we ended up in a room together, right? Um, that's, they allowed it. Uh, wow. So they, and, and she would lock uh, me up uh, apparently as a child. Now, much later, people started talking to me about it. Well, we thought something was wrong, but we didn't want to say anything. You know, we didn't want to get anyone in trouble. <laughs> so at five, I was beaten up so badly and I was touched and all of that stuff. I just wanted out because I thought being dead, at least no one could touch me anymore. I wouldn't have to be in that house. And this happened but, as young you know, as five years old. Well, that's when I wanted to kill myself, yes. But after wow. therapy and a lot of work, you know, they realized that it actually started at six months old, the violations. Horrible. And so, this is what's hard for people to understand. Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's very difficult to swallow this because it's, you just think, who, who could do such a thing? How could such a thing happen? And when, you know, in speaking to you, I have to give you some credit because obviously it's got to be difficult to speak about this, but you do it so eloquently and with such vigor and with such um, confidence and strength and kudos to you. But uh, I think it's important for people to realize that you, you realize these things and you remember these things and you were a little kid, a little girl. And now you're, you know, w when did things start to change for you? If you were five years old wishing you were dead because of the abuse you were going through. 
How did, how did you see light at the end of the tunnel? Well, on that particular day when I was waiting to jump in front of a car that never came down our normally busy street, you know, I looked into the sky and I just thought, you know, who made this? Is it something bigger or greater? And in my life, you know, I heard God's voice in my heart saying, this is not the plan I have for you. Suicide is not the answer. For other people, it could be something else. But for me, somehow I thought, okay, well, if you keep me alive, I'll do whatever you call me to do. But again, I was five. And fast forward through a couple more attempts because things got worse. Uh, and my birth brother was not helpful uh, at the age of 17. That was the last time my birth mother tried to kill me by trying to choke me to death. So it was wow. brutal and violence. How, how did you get away from your birth mother? Well, after I was uh, so 17, I tried to run, and I realized I have no money. I have no car. There are no family members that even knew what was going on. We were constantly kept from people. You know, every few years we'd move or something would change. And so I had nowhere to go. And I felt like I failed. I couldn't even kill myself. I couldn't run away. Uh, but I did manage to get to college. And that was when I first started realizing how other people lived, you know, how quote unquote normal people lived, right. how, uh, you know, other families operated. Uh, I finished quickly. I, I did four years and three years. I just wanted to get on with my life because how could I possibly tell people, you know, the ones that are supposed to love you, protect you, and nurture you were the very ones that were, had destroyed my innocence and my confidence, all of the negative self-talk. I just wanted to have a life, but I didn't really know how to have it. So I became the hardest worker, you know, in first, out last. I did everything I could to get affirmation and accolades from education and work. And... Ultimately, you were able to get away by going with other family or was it calling the cops? Like, how did you get away from that situation? Well, again, in the, let's see, so the early 70s, by that time when I was 17, there wasn't anywhere to go that uh, the police would not have as a minor uh, probably listened to me. They would have sent me back. And so what? how I got away besides going to college was I had other friends that I would go to their homes. I would see how they lived, but my birth mother was still threatening me. And so, so, uh, my, so you actually my, never my, got away. You just went to college. So I never got away until I went to law school. And when I went to law school and started living on my own, she was still in the area, but she couldn't touch me. And I would get letters saying, I'll destroy you. And, you know, I'll take everything you have, which, you know, I'm a broke law student. What are you going to get from me? Right? right. But but that was her. That was her thing. Because uh, I started speaking about what had happened to me and she had heard about it. And so she wanted to shut it down. And basically, that was it. She said, I'll kill you if I have to. Wow. Well, let's hold that thought right there, folks. Our guest is Andy Berger. She's a survivor of human trafficking. Voices Against Trafficking is her organization. I am Rich Valdez. We're coming straight back to you with this story of human trafficking and life beyond it. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
America starts the day with America in the morning. Got pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there Hi, are. Hi, I'm two John gorgeous- Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. High octane action in the dust, a new film puts Our in- staff of correspondents provide a fast paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Andy Berger. She is a human trafficking survivor and uh, the head of Voices Against Trafficking, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. And she's telling us how she went through this really difficult time, uh, abused as a child from the age of six months to 17 years old, and got away from her family only because she went to college and then finished college and went to law school and realized that that's not how you live your life. That's not the right way. It's not the normal way. And decided to make a change. And uh, we were just at that point where she was in law school and realized this isn't how everybody else is living. Andy Berger, go right ahead. Yes, absolutely. So part of going to law school was a desire to save other kids uh, like who, who had been hurt like I was uh, from being uh, lost in the system or hurt even further. But I realized in law school that it wasn't really the justice I was looking for. At that time, you know, I saw judges sending kids back to the abusing parents because, well, every kid belongs with the mother or or that's just a misunderstanding. Right. And so that culture was every kid belongs with the parents, even if the parents are the problem. And as a minor, kids had no say whatsoever in the court system. And even today, we still have trouble listening to younger people, uh, you know, 14, 15. We have national cases that, you know, we could talk about, too, but where the victims were not listened to. And so uh, after I got through law school, I went back to business. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to business and I'll find another way to help kids who are like me so that they don't have to suffer because a victim lives with the trauma their entire life. Even like me, if I get healing like I did through therapy, counseling, other things, you know, faith, support systems, you always are affected by what someone has done to you, especially with sexual violations and exploitation. You never live. You never live past that. You can't go back to innocence. Yeah, that's really unfortunate, Andy Berger. Really is. I mean, I hear it, and it's heartbreaking. So, how do you? Um, I mean, how did you move forward? How did you cope? Uh, being that you know it doesn't go away. How do you manage on the day to day? 
Well, what I did was I created a new normal, Rich, and that's when I encourage people, a lot of the kids that my husband and I have rescued, you know, we, we encourage them, you know, to keep moving, don't buy the life, that you can't be better, that you can't have a life that could make you happy, that you can't be successful, all those things. So I had a primal desire to win, as in, if I'm successful, if I live, then I win. And if I give up or take my life or do any of that, then the evil people win. So it was kind of primal in the beginning. But once I got some success and I finished law school, I was back in business and I realized that Mm -hmm. I could probably do something in life. And it was on me now. You know, I had to decide every day to be the kind of person I wanted to be. And that's what happened. Now, relationships were a struggle. I I married an abuser, big shocker, right? But I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, first marriage ended. But uh, then a couple years after, uh, I did marry the most amazing human I've ever known. And and two things really stuck with me. He said, you know, yeah. He said, you know, I will always be there for you. I will never leave. And I'll always listen, even though I don't understand everything that happened to you. But I'll always be there. And that was so impacting because to know you have somebody, anybody in your support system, uh, that's a big deal to someone who's been hurt like I was. I could imagine. Uh, just having that unconditional support uh, makes a huge difference in, in anybody's life, let alone someone who's been through um, the, the type of abuse that you'd gone through. Uh, again, America, our guest is Andy Berger. She's the head of Voices Against Trafficking, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com, uh, a survivor of human trafficking, an attorney and an advocate uh, against what's going on against trafficking. And Andy Berger, so fast forward to where we are today and uh, you're doing work with your organization and you're observing what's going on in the news. And there's this uh, story right before I brought you on. I was talking about the um, the Eric Johnson case, former NFL player who, who is among eight arrested on human trafficking charges, part of a gang called the Lotto Gang. Um, this is more common than I think we think. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, Just so the listeners know, in the U.S. alone, every 40 seconds, a child 18 years or younger is abducted. That means they're taken, they're lured into something that they think is safe. And it's not just kids, it's teenagers, college kids, uh, you know, young women. And so this is this goes on at all levels, higher levels, lower levels, however you want to call that. But every community has this, whether we want to acknowledge the elephant in the room or not. Because you can't have victims without predators. And this lotto case is, is a great example. The gangs are using uh, their girlfriends or women. Uh, they're coercing them into sexual activities that they don't want to do. They're using violence and manipulation like they did in my case, you know, with family members. So it's, it's a way to control their product. And so the fact that they were even found out and arrested is huge. That's very rare. But again, people need to know that the average predator doesn't just look like the people in the movies. They, could, they look like a librarian or a dentist or, you know, a school teacher. And, you know, we have such an uptick rich. Uh, it's an epidemic. You know, human poaching is an epidemic in this country. So you're saying the um, our idea that when you're walking down the street and you see some weirdo and you get this gut feeling, you're like, this might be one of those human trafficking weirdos. That, that's not very accurate. You're saying they come in all shapes, sizes, and walks of life. Absolutely. Because the money and the greed, usually trafficking is, 
is fueled by greed or perversion, but we hear mostly about the greed because the it's a $160 billion global enterprise. And in the States, we're talking maybe, you know, 42 of that number. But sexual tra- sex trafficking is the majority of that. Because if you think about it, a gang can say, hey, you know, come on over. I'm going to have some friends over for a party. They tell their girlfriend. They, the girlfriend's like, yeah, you know, great. I'm, I'm going to be popular. My guy's inviting me to some kind of shindig. And then he ends up selling her 20, 24 times that night. He makes a lot of money doing that. And she's not going to run home and say, hey, guess what happened to me last night? So right, her boyfriend becomes not, a pimp, and she becomes ashamed. Exactly. And so each victim does get, you know, most victims average a sale of 20 to 25 times a day. The average victim, if they're lucky, has a seven-year lifespan, and usually only one out of every 100 victims is rescued or escapes. But then, also in news headlines over the years, we see that some of the victims who managed to kill their predator actually get put in jail for murder. Wow. How crazy is that? That's crazy. That's insane. They should be awarded and applauded. Absolutely. I mean, they have suffered to a degree that no one can ever understand. And it's just like with uh, prostitution. I actually had a district attorney in my area say, oh, well, if they're 18 and older and they're a prostitute, they, they chose that. Now, you mentioned you had children. I don't know that they're growing up saying, gee, I'd like to be a prostitute, you know, when I grow no, they're up. they're not. <laughs> no, they're, they're not. not. But yet the the 89% of prostitutes would not do that, but they were recruited as minors very young. Right. And they become, kind of forced into that's it. their life. Yeah, when I was Absolutely. a kid, the, the thought was always, oh, those are runaways. And because, you know, they wanted to get away from home, they ended up living on the street, and that's how they survived. So that's why they chose that lifestyle. And, and I'm sure there was some truth to that. But I think there's a lot more to it when um, when you look at how prostitution has expanded and it works today where it's a lot more organized. It's legitimately like organized crime. And there are people from all over the world. I, I actually once went to a church and the guest speaker was a guy from, I don't know, some South American country, maybe Ecuador. And he mentioned how he, would, he wanted to be in... Um, I think it was fashion modeling or something like that. And they said, oh, we can we can get you into Italy and we'll, you know, whatever. They sold him some smoke and he, he bought into it. Uh, he got a visa. He went with them. They held on to his passport and then they, um, they made him work as a waiter. But he wasn't really a waiter. He was just pretending to be a waiter. And then he started turning male tricks and they kind of forced him to do it because they said, we got your passport. And if you don't do what we tell you to do, we're going to kill your family back home. And Absolutely. this guy w- was being held as a hostage and having, you know, gay sex with people in Italy. That's where he ended up, um, Ecuadorian guy, for, for a number of years until, I guess, he worked off his debt. Or, and they finally gave him his passport back and said, you can go. But by that point, he, in his own words, he was all screwed up. Didn't know if he was coming or going. Had all sorts of trauma and pain. And it was a horrible story to hear. I mean, he finally found, you know, Jesus and, and got very involved in his local church and became an evangelist. And, and, and that was the, his path out and his healing. But it was a remarkable story. And, and I heard that. And I think, you know, you, you tend to think this is, you know, few and far between. It's a one-off. But it seems like they're not that one-off. It happens a lot more than we think. 
It does happen a lot more than we think. And honestly, if we didn't have demand, there wouldn't be a need for supply, right? So even in America, uh, a couple of years back, I think it was USA Today had uh, a study from Rutgers, and it basically said that they had tracked 25 uh, or rather two and a half million Americans who actively sought out to have sexual relations with children and paid for it. That's okay, horrible. So, I remember a few years back, they had passed a law saying if you went on one of these vacations to like Thailand or one of these other countries that allow that, and uh, you got caught doing it and they knew you were going there for the sake of having sex, that they would charge you with like some sort of um, rape charge in the United States. I don't know how effective that enforcement is, but I thought it was a good idea to have that kind of law. Well, we are woefully lacking in enforcement because technically right now there are laws on the books, but if we don't enforce them or there's corruption in any of that process of actually arresting and then keeping a predator in mm-hmm. jail or isolated, uh, because the only there are only two things a victim wants uh, regarding a predator, that they're either locked up for life with no chance of escape, no early release, or they're dead. They don't care which one. They just don't want that person ever to be in their life. And so you live with that constant thought. For me, my last predator, my birth mother, didn't die until she was 91 years old. And I'm 60. So so it was all, you know, it's a long time. There's an old saying, and the saying is, the good die young. They don't say anything about the bad. Folks, we're on with Andy Berger, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. She's a trafficking survivor, and she's with us. Um, if you want to ask her a question, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. The conversation continues. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Andy Berger. She's the head of VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com, and um, they put out the magazine Voices of Courage, uh, which uh, the most current uh, edition of the magazine contains a tribute to the late, great Jim Bohannon. So make sure you check that out. Go to their website, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Andy Berger, I want to bring you um, into the loop, or I want you to bring me into the loop, better said, on what your thoughts are with respect to naming the names, right? This final batch of documents containing uh, the associates of Jeffrey Epstein and you know who these people are and will it be made public there's a lot of people that want to know who these dozens of John Doe's and Jane Doe's are. Do you think this is going to become unsealed? Well, that is a good question. And honestly, I believe that that book is it has been used for leverage in some way. It it definitely should be publicized. It is definitely valid to, to um, do that with the case that has been brought against Epstein before he died, of course, and Maxwell. But here's the thing. Anyone who participated in that is as culpable as the actual predators, even if if they were lured there, but they thought, okay, well, this could be kind of weird, but fine, I'll do it anyways, right? So that doesn't excuse you from participating in something that's illegal and that is vicious and horrific as human trafficking. So every name in that book 
is as culpable in Andy's in Andy's belief. But the other part of it is too, there was a mother of one of the quote unquote captains in Epstein's uh, little regime, and she said, "Well, my daughter shouldn't be prosecuted because she was only the third captain." And that's that's how we have problems because, well, she wasn't as bad as the other people. But, yes, every single person involved, the book should be made public. There's no reason not to unless there are strings being pulled for financial or or political uh, reasons, which is most likely the case. So I hope it does get exposed. But, again, who's going to go after them? Right. I could see – I mean, it's indicating here there's 167 names on there, and we don't know um, very many of them. And and you're right. These are typically, uh, at least the ones we are suspected of knowing, the ones we know, like Prince uh, Andrew and and others. These are very successful, very um, powerful people where they're doing everything they can, I'm guessing, to pull every string they can to make sure that they're – their proclivities for, you know, young girls or whatever it was they were getting from Epstein, which is, I think, what he mainly trafficked in, uh, remains a secret. Absolutely. And and who knows to what extent they'll go to keep their secrets, to protect their families and to, uh, again, manipulate the system. And if it was you or myself or somebody else, we probably would end up in jail. But at certain levels, there's And live coverage. while we're in jail. And, right? Yeah, live while we're in jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. But, you know, here's the thing. Somebody always knows when a child's being abused. Somebody always knows when something is going on. It's whether they have the courage to speak out or to speak up, which is one of the things that we do with Voices Against Trafficking is trying to provide tools and ways for people to report or to, if you see something, say something because I would have done, I I would have had a different life if somebody would have been looking for me or somebody had heard the screams or the cries, right? And, Mm. you know, I am good now, but think of all of the missing children, all of the missing innocents out there who are still being tortured, still being hurt, being sold for organ, you know, organ uh, harvesting, things like Mm -hmm. that. People don't like to hear it because it's uncomfortable. But what we do is we provide truth and hope. Because this is what we have to do as a, a national community. We have to rally. Our children are not valued. They're commodities. They're not uh, the future anymore of our Andy, country the mm-hmm. way they used to be. Andy Berger is uh, the head of Voices Against Trafficking, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Uh, we have a couple of mi- minutes left with her. We're going to um, take a quick pause and come back and uh, quickly discuss what exactly they do at Voices Against Trafficking in addition to their magazine, all of that and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're wrapping up with Andy Berger, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Andy Berger, let everybody know uh, very quickly, I guess in a minute or less, how you do what you do and what you're doing at VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Absolutely. We promote greater public awareness through national and international educational tools, handbooks. We have books on Amazon.com, 
billboards in Times Square, you know, on New Year's Eve, things like that, situational awareness curriculum that we're trying to get into the schools and into homes across the country. Uh, we do a lot of public service announcements. We're engaged in some live active rescues, but the Voices of Courage magazine and later the Voices of Courage television show this year is all about wow. continuing to, yes, to give the general public more information, truth and hope in this situation, and also tips on how to prevent it. Our website, as you've mentioned, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. There are helplines and hotlines everyone should have on their phone tonight. And then the Voices of Courage magazine, you know, all of this is um, being done. Uh, it celebrates the everyday heroes that are selflessly fighting to protect human rights and to protect victims and get what they need. So at the end of the day, we're dedicated to eradicating human bondage, sexual slavery, and the violation of every human's rights. Well, Godspeed to you, Andy Berger, for doing an amazing job. Again, folks, the, the website, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com, VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. Go check it out. Uh, take a look at the website. Find the link to the magazine and support the cause. Andy Berger, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Rich. It's been an honor. Likewise. And straight ahead, we're going to talk about how your smart speaker uh, where you say play this and play that might actually help burglars rob you. We're going to learn about cybersecurity straight ahead with Jonathan Taylor. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the program, is 866-505-4626, or the new number, 833-482-5337. That's 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to remind you to check out the podcast for this program. If you miss any of these interviews, they live on in perpetuity. You can get them on demand anytime at the uh, website, uh, the, uh, excuse me, the podcast for Rich Valdez America at night. Make sure you check that out as well and click subscribe. Now, a couple of quick headlines. Uh, Ohio residents are in fumes. They want to know what's going on with their transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, and they, they can't find him. They don't know what's going on and they're angry. Uh, then President Biden claims that three recently shot down unknown objects are not linked to the China spy program. Meanwhile, some hobby company says, well, we think that's our balloon, but we, you know, we're not going to say it is just yet, but it, we think it's our balloon. And uh, this was some sort of hobby group that was, um, you know, launching balloons and using ham radio. So, um, that's interesting. Now, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman, I mentioned to you a few days ago that um, his staff felt that he had not fully healed from his stroke. Well, today he has checked himself into Walter Reed Hospital for clinical depression. Now, I think this is a little bit of a of a political hackery where I think he he's using the idea that 
Most people are depressed. There's a ton of people that were depressed from COVID. And most people are very sympathetic to people that are clinically depressed. So why not say you're clinically depressed to get you out of the spotlight and get somebody in and maybe replace you? So those are my um, just gut check reactions to those headlines. And I, I want to talk about another headline in the Daily Mail. Listen to this one. Uh, how smart home devices like doorbells and thermostats are allowing hackers to commit digital burglaries and what you can do to shore up your security. Now, the, the article goes on to talk about how hackers have screamed abuse and threatened to murder smart doorbell users. And common mistakes include not changing the default password. So there's uh, other tips and and. For many who didn't know this was a thing, these digital burglaries are a real thing where people can get in and they could hack your camera and they could find out what's going on with you in the, the confines of your home. And to get to the bottom of that, we've got Jonathan Taylor. He is a expert in this stuff, as well as the uh, a partner at TaylorMadeConsultingGroup.com, which is a partner of uh, the Google Cloud Service. So I want to bring Jonathan Taylor in. Welcome, sir. Welcome, Rich. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. I'm doing great. I, I appreciate you being here with us. I know it's live. It's late night. But I think there's a lot of Americans out there, and we have a pretty large audience, thank God, that don't know that, you know, something as convenient as having a smart speaker where they could say Alexa this or Google that, and all of a sudden, you know, this could lead to a digital burglary. Tell us more. You know, uh, you, you hit it right on the nail, Rich. You know, what the tech world calls it, we call it Internet of Things devices, uh, IoT devices. And with these devices, you, you, you connect them to your home Wi-Fi. And, and you know, as I know, it makes our life so convenient. And so like me and other uh, uh, Americans, I think the number is like 69% of Americans, we have these devices in our home. And we're trusting them and just depending on them to make our lives convenient. But we're really not thinking about that security. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Now, listen, I got one of these and I only have one and I put it as far away from I put it in the room I use the least. I put it far away because I was already concerned. I said, you know what? This is the beginning of the end. This is China. This is the Chinese credit score system. They're going to be spying on me. They're going to use thermal imaging. They're going to know when I'm home. They're going to I mean, I was just really paranoid. Uh, I didn't want to use it. But I said, hey, let me get it because you could play all your songs and you could do things and they're pretty loud. So, you know, I gave in and I said, let me not overreact here. But, you know, I saw this article and I said, oh, my gosh, this is serious business. And I don't know that everybody's as paranoid as I am. But uh, what how serious is the threat? You know, the, the, the risks are real, Rich. You know, uh, you used to think of the burglar with the crowbar and the mask. It's not that anymore. You know, uh, you have people that can monitor your network and they can monitor your cameras, as you say, you know, and they know where you're at in your home or even if you're at home at all. And so uh, they, they got the power with, with, with a few lines of code to disable your, your motion detectors and open that front door. And so the risks are real. You know, uh, we've got to understand that, you know, when we connect these devices to our, our Wi-Fi network, our home network, where we're, we're connecting our, our laptops and, 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 you know, cell phones and things that have personal information, we're also connecting our refrigerators, our doorbells, uh, you know, our, our mm -hmm. thermostats to these devices. And so with 
the security not being on those devices, there is a potential that they could access those other devices on the network through the thermostat. And so we've got to be careful about a lot of those risks and really take them seriously. Well, I want to get into what people can do in order to protect themselves, you know, from these risks and what some of the more practical steps are. And uh, I think it's important that we, you know, we take our time with it and help people understand exactly what they need to do. Because I know for me, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to go do it on my speaker because I don't want that thing <laughs> acting up. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a, I think it's a serious thing that we really have to pay close attention to because if we let it go now, I mean, we're just, there goes the privacy of one's home, right? Right, right. And not even that, your personal information, you know, everything, you know, uh, right. all of that is, 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 is at danger here. And so there are steps, like you said, that you can do. You know, here at TaylorMade, we tell our, fir- our clients the first thing that you need to do is really consider your comfort level. You know, are you comfortable with these devices and balancing that convenience with security and privacy, right? And so you want to make sure, okay, do I need a camera in this room? Do I need a device in this room? Uh, Is this device really necessary for me to even have? And so once you understand that comfort level and and you decide to buy that device, you need to start looking at that Wi-Fi network of yours. Make sure that that router that you got, that you change that default password, and that it has a strong password on there. You know, uh, out of the box, these these uh, uh, routers, they, they come with a model-specific Wi-Fi name that if I just look and I know that Rich has a, a, a TP link, well, I could tap into his TP link right there. I mean, it's, it's, it's his. I know that's what he's using. And so you want to change that SSID name which is that Wi-Fi name that you look for before you put in that password. And then you want to make sure that, that, that you change that, that uh, login uh, a password and username because a lot of times out of the box, they come with the name admin as the username and the password 0000. I mean, who's not going to figure that out, right? And so right. Uh, those are just some things that we can do, uh, Rich. You know, when, when you want to get, you know, down to the granular level, uh, really look at all your devices within your home, right? And make sure that you're replacing those old devices that, don't, that aren't supported by new firmware and things like that. And, and then the newer devices, make sure that you have the latest firmware installed. Because the last thing you want to do is, is be vulnerable when there is a security patch that could have prevented uh, an attack. And so yeah. there are, are a number of things, you know, uh, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, I said earlier, you know, take that refrigerator off of that same Wi-Fi that you have your cell phone on. You know, a lot of these routers, they come with the ability to create a guest network. And so maybe put the refrigerator, put Alexa, put put the thermostat, put those on that guest network and make sure that your laptop, your cell phone, uh, your tablets, those things that, that have that personal data, not just your personal data. I mean, we bring our work home nowadays. And right. intellectual property theft is a big thing. And so this is how they get access to that information. And so we want to make sure we separate those networks out. That way we got secure stuff on the the strong password behind uh, firewalls and all that kind of stuff. And then we've got the less uh, uh, important devices, those convenient devices on, on a separate network. All right. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on. And we will go on. I just want to make sure I remind everybody of who we're talking to. We're on with Jonathan Taylor. 
He's uh, the head of TaylorMade Consulting Group, TaylorMadeConsultingGroup.com, and uh, giving us some pretty good advice on how to protect ourselves from getting hacked by our favorite smart speaker. So we're going to continue this conversation straight ahead. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number if you want to join the conversation, ask a question, or offer a tip. And we are coming straight back to you. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Okay, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez on all, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media if you want to chime in that way. Or you can give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And our guest is Jonathan Taylor, TaylorMade Consulting Group. He's a cybersecurity expert and a Google Cloud partner. And uh, we're talking about how to protect yourself from your smart speakers and cybersecurity with respect to your home devices. And again, I found this to be interesting because... Um, you know, I have a couple. And listen, my refrigerator doesn't tell me the news. It doesn't have a TV in it. It's not hooked up to the web. It's kind of old school. It just refrigerates things. But I realize there's people out there that have these really cool devices. And, and uh, you know, I've only just recently stepped out of the Stone Age and into the 21st century with uh, an Alexa. And uh, I'm very, very leery about it. So uh, Jonathan Taylor, what are some of the other steps besides changing the default password, which seems like, you know, a very common sense approach, but a lot of people don't do it. And I, as what you were saying it, I do usually do that, but there's one device I haven't done it on, and that's the Bluetooth pairing in my car to pair my cell phone to the speaker in my car. And I thought to myself, maybe I need to change that too, because it's like whatever it is, user and, you know, zero, 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 zero. And uh, I realize some people, just because it's easier, they just don't do it. But um, this could cost you, right? And I feel like um, so could having older equipment that might be out of date, right? Older made-in-China equipment, I know, has posed a little bit of a threat. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yes. So as you know, these devices, they a lot of them were manufactured in China. And they even, even if they weren't, you know, they could have been manufactured in another part of the, the country. But a lot of the components on the inside, we got to think about those chips uh, mm. that, that are on the inside. And as you see, President Biden uh, is doing a lot to try to bring that manufacturing here home. And so, you know, you, you, you hit it on the nail, Rich. We've got to make sure We've got the new equipment because with with the new technology, with with the new hacks, our, our manufacturers, you know, they see the role that they have within securing us as we purchase their devices. And, and they're upgrading their firmware. They're putting in those patches to prevent, you know, these kind of hacks, you know, because once they get in, man, they, they can kind of take over whatever device they want. And so, you know, you look at states like California, you know, back in 2018, they passed a law that went into effect in 2020 that, that set some minimum standards for, for the security uh, uh, that needed to be in these IoT devices. You know, they said if it's in this state, it needs to at least 
meet these minimum requirements, that kind of thing. You know, Oregon's done stuff like that, Massachusetts, and the list goes on and on. And so uh, I do want to double back if I can, Rich, and, and, and I want to emphasize that password. You know, we can't just make easy passwords. We need to make unique, strong passwords. You mm. know, let's try to make them at least 12 characters long. Let's make sure we're incorporating uppercase, lowercase, numbers, and uh, symbols. And, and and what this is doing is it just makes it that much harder to try to guess what it is or or get these new AIs. I know you hear chat GPT coming out, so artificial sure. intelligence is coming out. And, and, and they can kind of look at a bunch of data they collect from you, and really that, that computer can guess what it thinks your password might be. And so you want to make sure you confuse it up a little bit. Instead of an E, use a 3. Instead of an I, use a 1. You know, switch it up a little bit and, and make that password strong. Now, there's a search engine called Shodan. Are you familiar with this? Man, yes. This is a bad so, news, right? It says that cybersecurity people and hackers use this search engine to search for vulnerable cameras on these devices. And it's almost crazy. Like, who, who would have thought to put that up? And why is that still up? You know, mm-hmm. and, and you're right, man. It's 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 like that with with your personal information too. They've got all kind of websites on the dark web, uh, where where uh, you know losers, if you will, they they they're selling your stuff. You know that that's why you've got to make sure that you've got those locks on your credit. That way, they can't go out and 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 you know use your identity. Uh, make sure that you're you're changing your passwords and being secure, and and making sure you're paying attention to the devices you have because there are uh, uh, nefarious people doing all kind of weird things on the dark web, and uh, I don't I don't recommend you know. Uh, 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 playing in the dark web, but there are a bunch of people that do it, and it's a bunch of our public information that that been stolen from companies. I mean, we hear all the time companies have been hacked and they stole our passwords, they stole our our usernames, our emails. Well, they're using that information some kind of way, and so that some are using it, you know, to create accounts, and some are using it to sell it to other people. So, yeah, yeah, and and you brought up something really good, which was this people. Um all you need sometimes is to get your email, right? Even if your password's protected and you've got the best password ever, once they have your email, they can start the phishing attacks, they can start the spam, which could um, eventually lead to a vulnerability in your network because, you know, how often do we sit there and really check every email to make sure it's coming from the place it says it's coming from? And you know what I'm saying? It's I, For about two months straight, I, I was getting emails from myself from from my own email address kept saying you know rich valdez is emailing you i was like that's not true (laughs) but uh, i realized that that happens and they're they're out to get you and i read up on it and it said that when they do that this like incessant like you know 25 30 a day it's that they're hoping you're like clicking through it or deleting or whatever and while you're doing that they're trying to get in another way and it's just um it's scary man you, you know when you look at the future of things rich you know um I can tell you, my wife is not going to give up that Alexa. You know, I'm, I'm not going to give up the comfortability of on a cold morning being able to grab my cell phone and bump that thermostat up before I get out that bed. That's not going to happen. You know, I, it's such in me, man. I, I, I'm spoiled. Okay. So, but but 
That's more great. people are going to begin to use these devices, man. And this is just going to get worse and worse. And and as as the companies and the manufacturers and we try to get more insecure, those those bad guys, they're going to continue to find new ways to to try to steal from us. So you're absolutely right, man. We've we've got to find a way to really read these terms and conditions for one, you know, quit saying, okay, okay, okay. Right. And then, yeah. and then really just start having that serious conversation, not just amongst ourselves, but with our children, you know, we give them these devices and we just trust that they know what they're doing and that they're safe. And, and, and really, like I said, you know, the, the new burglar doesn't have a mask in the crowbar. He, he's behind a computer somewhere with, with some key, keyboards, you know? So it, yeah. it's scary. It really, really is. All right, America, that's Jonathan Taylor. He's uh, the head of TaylorMadeConsultingGroup.com, TaylorMade Consulting. There, he's a Google pl- Cloud partner and a cybersecurity expert. And uh, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight, Jonathan. Man, thank you so much for having me, and y'all have a good evening. You too, man. Take care. God bless. And straight ahead, we're going to continue the conversation. There's a Yale professor that says we should be killing the elderly in Japan, of all places. Go figure. Anyway, more on that and your calls, 833-482-5337. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. America, welcome back. So, uh, again, if you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. You'd think I'd know that one by now. Now, there's a professor from Yale University. He's under fire now for suggesting that elderly Japanese residents should kill themselves. This is a fascinating story. A professor at Yale University sparking outrage. This is according to the New York Post, by the way suggesting that the elderly Japanese residents should take part in a mass suicide. That's a quote. By disembowelment to help the country deal with its rapidly aging population. Yeah, I'm not making this up. This is real. His name, Yasuki Narita, 37 years old, an assistant professor of economics at the Ivy League school, has gained hundreds of thousands of followers on social media as he touted the controversial solution in multiple interviews and publications. But he's also drawn the ire of the New York Times. Uh, listen to this. Uh, he says, I feel like the only solution is pretty clear, Mr. Narita said during a, a, a news program in 2021. In the end, isn't it mass suicide and mass seppuku of the elderly? Adding that the practice of disembowelment utilized by dishonored samurais uh, in the late 19th century would be ideal here. Last year, Narita answered a boy's question about seppuku by telling a group of students about a scene from Midsummer. I'm saying that wrong. Midsummer, <laughs> a 2019 movie about a Swedish cult sending one of its oldest members to jump off a cliff. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I do. I, I just think it's funny that we're really uh, discussing this, and this is a real professor and his crazy. Um, 
this is his real idea. But what are you going to do? Whether that's a good thing or not, that's more uh, difficult, he says. So if you think that's good, then maybe you can work hard towards creating a society like that. He also had discussions about euthanasia, predicting that the possibility of making it mandatory in the future will become a part of the public discourse. The professor's incendiary remarks touched a raw nerve in a country where kamikaze pilots were revered for dying in a blaze of glory back in World War II. Narita also told the Times that his comments had been taken out of context. Really? What context did you mean him in, sir? Saying that he was referring to efforts to push older people out of leadership positions in business and politics. Now, I'm going to call BS on that one because he's talking about seppuku and whatever, and you don't stick a sword in your belly and remove your bowels um, when you quit your job, right? I mean, we all know exactly how this stuff works. So uh, he says, quote, I should have been more careful about the potential negative connotations. He told the paper about the phrase mass suicide and mass seppuku, saying they were an abstract metaphor. Okay, sure. Right, right. Sounds like an insurrection to me, pal. After some self-reflection, he says he stopped using those words last year. In Japan, the professor has gained a following amongst disaffected youth who believe their economic process, uh, excuse me, progress has been stymied by the elderly that are in power. So the young people are like, yo, these old people are taking up all our dough. I mean, that's one of the craziest things you could think of, right? It's it's an old saying I learned when I was younger, and it, it goes like this. I don't get fat from what you eat, right? You can do all you got to do. doesn't affect me, right? Only what I do affects me. And uh, it's a good lesson to learn. Anyway, his Japanese Twitter bio reads, the things you're told you're not allowed to say are usually true. So he's, he's uh, pithy and he's clever at the same time. Narita's dictators pushed back at his controversial remarks, saying it's irresponsible um, to, to think that grandparents are the ones who are living longer and that we should just get rid of them because they're living longer. Newsweek uh, columnist from Japan, Masato Fujisaki, he said that Narita's supporters believed old people should die just because they were already old and social welfare should be cut. Some fear that Narita's views are gaining traction in a country where older generations have traditionally been honored. And in 2013, the finance minister in Japan, Taro Aso, said the elderly should hurry up and die to spare the nation the cost of their medical care. Man, let me tell you. Imagine, I mean, we've got some senators and that and politicians in, in the United States that have proposed an idea that said every bill in Congress should be looked at every five years to make sure that we're keeping it. They've turned that into saying, oh, we're going to eliminate Social Security. The Republicans want to gut it. They're going to steal it. They're going to kill it, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, it's the biggest scandal ever. Imagine that when you have someone that's in office here, the uh, the finance minister saying, hurry up and die because we're, we need to spare the nation the cost of your medical care. I mean, I just think it's crazy. Anyway, we're, um, we're, we're going to continue uh, on this vein because there's a lot to talk about with this. But I just think this is kind of out of hand, right? I mean, you tell me what your thoughts are. 8334-VALDEZ, 8334-VALDEZ is the number. But have you ever heard of such a thing? I mean, of course we've heard of, you know, the these um, population control things and whatnot. But to just 
flat out say, we should, not only should we kill them, they should kill themselves, right? We just need mass suicide. I think that's the craziest part where it's it's not just this uh, autocratic dictatorial thing where they're you know saying, hey, we're going to kill you. Uh, we're going to poison you. We're going to give you whatever. Here, these guys are saying, no, 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 you know, we're going to continue to try and be uh, fair here. We're going to encourage you to kill yourself, <laughs> right? You, you need to go jump off a cliff, as they said earlier, or, you know, stick the sword in your bowels. I mean, it's it's morbid, it's crazy, and it's horrific, in my opinion. But uh, I, you know, who am I, right? Like B- Joe Biden said one time when they said, uh, how do you feel about the um, human trafficking and the human rights abuses that are happening in China? He said, well, you know, they're their own country, and uh, we've got to respect their culture. <laughs> in so many words, it's what he said. And I thought, my goodness, I thought, you know, we were here to defend all things good and holy. And instead, uh, we're, we're, it seems like we're just going along to get along with, with statements like these. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez looking forward to your calls. And I'm going to check out the social media as well if you want to uh, chime in there. Or if you have been chiming in, I'll share those and take a look at that during the break. At Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. At Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here. And uh, there's been another train derailment, this time in Michigan. And I wanted to just bring you a clip uh, from some from the original derailment that happened a week ago in East Palestine, as it's pronounced, uh, in Ohio, where residents are, were on Fox News yesterday and they were very upset with the lack of transparency. And I, look, I felt that way about the balloons. Uh, I think overall there's just a lack of transparency. And uh, they were trying to figure out how they could blame Trump for this one. I want you to listen to this. It's unbelievable. Are you most concerned about the fact that there's very little information being given to the community? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know they're not telling us everything. How frustrated are you at the situation right now and the failure of what it appears to be people, the lack of response? I'm very upset with it. Their lack of transparency through the whole deal um, is unbelievable. But the biggest scare is... You don't know what's going to happen in the future, and and you just don't know. You just don't know. Department of Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is blaming Trump for this. That's ridiculous. How can you blame Trump for what's happening here? It's nobody's fault but Norfolk Southern. It's absurd. Um, only, only, only Pistol Pete could be that absurd. Trump hasn't been there for three years. <laughs> I mean, how can you blame somebody that hasn't been on the switch for three years? Now, of course, he hasn't been there for three years. But yet this is the easiest thing in the, do, uh, in the world to do is to blame Trump. Why not? Right. You just say, hey. He's orange. He's he's a man. He's bad. Orange man, bad. He did it. We're putting the blame on Donald Trump. Uh, But it just doesn't seem to work that way, in my opinion. You've got a bunch of residents that are upset. And again, that was a hat tip to Fox News. Sarah Carter was doing the interview in there. Uh, Hat tip to Sarah Carter. And 
you know, Buttigieg is trying to say, well, of course, you know, he does his mad dash out of there. He says, oh, no, no, it's not. It's not, you know, uh, their fault. It, it's Trump's fault. Right. It's not the train's fault. It's Trump's fault. And this is a, an issue. Right. It's a serious issue, in my opinion. Pete Buttigieg, he um, he was on Yahoo Finance today and he just basically downplayed the entire thing of the, the Ohio train derailment. And uh, the the controlled burn and the fuel spill and all of that stuff. And he just says, look, you know, um, I'm just going to let the media blame Trump. <laughs> Listen to this. Rail safety is something that uh, that has evolved a lot over the years, but there's clearly more that needs to be done because uh, while this uh, horrible situation has gotten a particularly high amount of attention, there are roughly 1,000 cases a year of a train derailing. Well, there you go. Then if that's how it is, Mayor Pete, then shoot, we're doing great. Thank goodness. Uh, I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second. I think that uh, he's compromised in in his uh, assessment. I don't think he's accurate. I think he's just kind of doing damage control, looking out, trying to just not be honest about it because it's a pretty bad situation on the ground there. And to just make it look like it's okay to have this big chemical burning. And um, I mean, I guess they had to get rid of it somehow. I understand. But it just doesn't seem super safe. And uh, I just don't buy it for a second. But that's where we are. And of course, we have that second crash where nothing spilled, thank God. Uh, but that one is in Michigan. And that train also operated by uh, North, North, I can never say this, Norfolk Southern. And the, the, came, the train came off the tracks near Van Buren Township uh, earlier today. So we'll keep you up to speed on what's going on with that. Uh, plus, we've got Open Phone America coming up at the top of the next hour. I don't want you to miss that because we have a few things we're going to discuss there about uh, gender and how some parents are just really super happy that their kids are having these gender issues and that they could get these, um, you know, just new stuff, just new found fame, new found treatment, new found everything. So keep it locked right here. We're going to discuss that and so much more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So during the break, somebody called in. They weren't able to hold on for long, but they had a joke. And uh, I'm going to read it to you. It was Elizabeth in Pennsylvania. Uh, and the, uh, let's see, I think it's KDKA. And it was regarding the story about the Japanese professor who was saying that we should be killing people or that the, the elderly in Japan should kill themselves. And here it says, sounds like a case of youth in Asia trying to get rid of the elderly in Asia. And if that went over your head, then that's too bad. But yes, it sounds like youth in Asia promoting euthanasia. Ah, I thought that was funny. It made me laugh. And uh, great, great sense of humor there, Elizabeth, in Pennsylvania, because I, I couldn't have come up with that one. I thought that story was so morbid. And you found the silver lining and made it, uh, you were able to crack a joke. So good deal. Now, we were talking about 
a couple of things. And uh, about this train derailment, about this professor, we talked about cybersecurity and having an Alexa speaker in your house or a Google speaker and potentially getting hacked through what they call a digital burglary. And we talked about human trafficking in the first hour. If you missed that first hour, make sure you check out the podcast because uh, that was an excellent interview, not because I did it, although I think I'm okay at doing that stuff, but uh, it was really because of the guest. The guest had such excellent information and an amazing story to tell, and I, I want to recommend that you listen to my interview with Andy Berger and my interview with uh, Jonathan Taylor if you didn't get a chance to tune in. And uh, we're going to go to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-825-337. Let us go to Sedona, Arizona, and I think Pat's listening online. Pat, welcome. Rich, man, you took me right off the bat. Thank you very much. That says a lot of respect. I really appreciate that. Hey, you know what? I'm just thinking about these two derailments, now one in uh, Michigan and the other one in Ohio, very bad, toxic situation. I saw that before it just about hit you. I saw it on the uh, Internet, and some girl right. was very mad, and she was cussing. Oh, my God, poor thing. She sounds like a sailor. But, uh, <laughs> it, well, I'm a sailor, so I'm a retired sailor. Yeah, but you told it, me you were corpsman. Yeah, and she... Uh, I mean, uh, she was rightfully mad because of the clarity. And I'm thinking about that union contract that uh, uh, Biden signed with the uh, with the train unions in a, a few months ago. And it's kind of like they said they were going to strike. And, of course, vital supplies during the, you know, we're, we're coming back, we're coming back, but we have supply chain problems. They would really make supply chain problems big time. And uh, I'm just thinking, is there a correlation? Are they upset with the negotiations? Have you heard anything? Because it seems like a, two train derailments, but also there is a, another way of looking at it. Our mm. crumbling infrastructure that's falling apart, trains are one of them, and our, our railroads are, you know, the, the rails are, are pretty much, you know, are they in that better shape? They probably are. And that could get nasty, guys, because we need those trains to go east and west and north and south in this country. And uh, we got to keep up on it. And this it seems like everybody's forgetting, you know, in government what, what they're supposed to do. And the transportation secretary, I mean, this guy should be out the door by now. I mean, gee whiz, he's not doing a good job. He's not keeping control. I mean, he's hurting the big guy. I mean, Joe. We, you know, we, you got to take care. He's not giving 10% to the big guy there, you know? And, but, you know, it'd be not so funny. Those railments that happen are very dangerous. How many people are going to be permanently sick from it? I mean, that's, that's toxic stuff that they had to burn off. And you know, it's not going to be that good for, for anybody, you know, lives with a downwind of that. So I don't know. What's your opinion, Rich? Yeah. So here's the thing. I think that, uh, number one, the um, I think you, you're right on with the, there may be an infrastructure issue. I don't know when they fixed that stuff last, um, but I know that they're not that common, these derailments. Uh, the other question is, you know, what's causing them? Uh, you know, there's already a bunch of videos all over the Internet saying that, you know, people were doing funny business ahead of these derailments and that they may be on purpose, which leads into your union question. 
uh, about, you know, the negotiations and contract. And I guess, you know, somebody out there is getting mad at me right now saying, how could you even suggest such a thing on the air, Rich? I'm not suggesting it. You brought it up and I'm saying it's a, it's a, it's a plausible thing and I have no, no way to prove it or disprove it. Uh, but, but I think uh, that, that there may be something there. You, you never know. I mean, when you look at a lot of different disasters, there's usually somebody somewhere that's being a saboteur. So, you know, I think uh, that's what I've learned in my observations of life over the years. And uh, I think it's a, it's a wise thing to hold on to, to think that, you know, don't just believe everything that you, you hear or see. And the other side of that is, um, yeah, listen, the big guy needs his 10%, right? <laughs> and if he's not getting his 10%, he's going to be very angry. So I don't know exactly the um, the outcome of that, but uh, I agree with you. It's it's fishy. We need to look into this a little bit more and and be really vigilant as we move forward, Pat. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you bet. How are you doing, by the way? Everything good? Hey, everything's great. I mean, we just got um, snow just a little while ago. Snow in Arizona, my goodness. It was, Get out. I'm from What's Colorado. the weather? I'm from Colorado. I'm from Colorado. So I'm oh. used to like I'm used to 400 inches a year where I used to live in in, in the high mountains of Colorado. But man, they get five inches, and these people. But you're saying it's do. snowing in Arizona? Yes, it, it, it snowed. We got. I mean, it it disappears by late afternoon. What was the weather like? Well, we we we, we dropped down to 17 degrees below 17 zero degrees in Arizona. My goodness, the last time I was in, uh, I think it was Tempe. It was something like 103. Anyway, Pat, thank you for the call. Folks, Open Phone America is coming up straight ahead. That was just a tease and a taste. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here and give us a call. 833-4-VALDES. Open Phone America. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And welcome, 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 welcome. Good evening to you. If this is your first hour with us, great. We've been at it for two hours, and I'm happy that you're here on this third hour. And I want to remind you to check out the podcast of this program where you can hear everything that we do with our guests, all of the conversations we're having. You can get that uh, on demand anytime, Rich Valdez, America at Night. Just Google it and then uh, click subscribe. Now, there's a few things we're going to talk about. We talked about a number of things tonight. We talked about human trafficking and how uh, a former NFL player is embroiled in this thing called the Lotto Gang where they were trafficking women. Uh, we talked about the latest with um, cybersecurity. 
Uh, I was forgetting that term for a moment with our, with another guest, and that was a really interesting conversation. We talked about killing off the elderly in Japan uh, as as a recommendation by a Yale professor, and of course about the train derailment. But there's a few other things that I want to get to tonight because uh, obviously President Biden may have shot down the wrong balloon. Uh, something from the bottle cap balloon brigade who's now missing a balloon. So we might get to that in a little bit. Of course, um, there's there's a lot of other things I want to get to. I may not get to all of them. We have a clip of Don Lemon, Don Limon from CNN, saying that Nikki Haley's too old to run for president. That's an interesting one as well. But I wanted to um, talk about this... Uh, story that I'd heard on Instagram and literally it's a story like you know when you go through the Instagram stories and it was of a mom and this mom in particular was talking about how her biological son uh, at 18 months was like wearing his sister's clothing so she thought that that was the beginning of his transition and it's it's so disheartening and you know, really messed up for me to, to, when I listen to it, I think, man, this is horrible. Like, how do you take anything for any value at, at that age? And I understand, if, you know, if your kid's coughing, yeah, the kid's coughing, get, get him help. But uh, I don't know that a kid that's looking at his older sibling who happens to be a girl and emulating some of that is, is really um, a, the need for a gender transition. But Lo and behold, I'm scrolling on Instagram and I come across this clip of uh, this video clip and here's the audio. Listen to this. Okay, so first of all, I will say that the process, the journey is ongoing and probably will be for potentially her entire life. But here's how it started. So she was uh, designated, assigned, observed male at birth. And now, until again, about 18 just months. Pay very close attention. This is the mom saying that she was designated or assigned male at birth, right? So she's talking about her son, a baby boy, who she now refers to as a she. Go ahead. Didn't really, you know, know too much, just kind of was raising two kids, working full time, not really paying attention to what was going on. And at around 18 months, started she started showing signs of like really being interested in things that her sister had and had in her closet and wanting to play dress up and wanting to put on lip gloss. And when she would see fingernails, she would want her fingernails painted, too. And, you know, we just we thought it was cute. No issue. We had no issue with, you know, her wanting to do those kinds of things. Um, and then around the age of two, things started to progress at a quicker pace. And so each time that we would go to pick her up from preschool, she was fully outfitted in dresses and jewelry. And so I will say I was super stoked that we had such a wonderful child care center that she was in because she was allowed to, you know, experiment with her gender. And All right. So let's hold it right there. So now she's talking about 18 months. So you mean to tell me you take your kid to a child care center, a daycare center, and they allow them to experiment. You're going to have little kids. Listen, this sounds a lot more than experimentation. My kids went to, to child care. I remember what that looked like. I've seen this stuff before. I've never seen anything like this. You might see some kid put something silly on, put on a grown-up's hat, something like that. Kids are kids. And it's fascinating to me how she's saying, well, we're lucky that we had this place. No, ma'am, you got bamboozled. The people suckered your kid into this. And I hate to use that term, but that's exactly what happened. People try to coax these things. I've seen, a, a not a million, but I've seen enough of these Instagram videos where moms are 
pushing. You know, what do you think? We played one here on the show the other day where the mom was like, oh, what do you think about boys? And she's like, oh, boys are nasty, right? And uh, and the boy was dressed like a girl and and identified as a girl, four years old, at, at the behest of his mother. This wasn't this child's decision. This was a decision made under duress. It, it was a... Uh, 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 this coaxed and coerced to do this. I mean, I just, I, I can't, I really can't. I think this is so beyond the pale, but let's continue. Dress up and do those kinds of things and have access to them. So when I would go to pick her up from preschool, like I said, she would be dripping in, you know, just jewelry and clicky shoes and all kinds of stuff. And getting her to take that off to go home was usually a pretty gnarly struggle. Uh, and then pr- around the age of four, she started wanting to wear like leggings and headbands. She had this one headband she was completely attached to that she felt, I, I look back on it now and think to myself, gosh, I wonder when she put that, that headband on, she thought to herself, people see me for who I am. No one's going to misgender me now. Um, and so it, it progressed. It just kept what moving. Four year old, what four year old do you know that talks about nobody's going to misgender me now? I remember being four years old. I think I do. I think I was, you know, going to pre-K before kindergarten. I didn't think about gender. I didn't even know what gender was. I just knew that, you know, if you behaved, they gave you a snack. You can go in the little treasure chest and get a uh, sticker if you behaved. I mean, this is what kids do when they're little like that. H- how is it that they're they're so expert now in interpreting uh, a child's mind? saying, oh, you know, oh, I don't want to be misgendered. Now that I have this great headband, as long as I wear this headband, they'll never misgender me again. Now, could, that could be the mom's words, not the kid's words. But I, I just, this concept of misgendering is a foreign concept for many people, including myself. So I think, and again, if you're thinking, if you've never heard that, Rich, you're living under a rock. No, I've heard of it. Uh, but it's a relatively new term. So I just, I'm blown away by this conversation and I I was just so shocked in watching this. Let's wrap it up. That direction with more and more things that started showing more and more signs. Um, She would say, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll be a girl. And we were kind of like, oh, okay, yeah. And my husband and I would be like, we gotta, we gotta figure this thing out. And so kind of for that final test, my husband decided, you know what, we're going to figure this thing out. We're, we're going to we're going to tap into this and see what happens. So he said, you know, I'm going to coach a T-ball team and I want her to be on it. And so I was like, all right, let's do it. Well, that didn't go over so well. She not only hated T-ball, she hated the uniform. She hated the hat. We found everything in the trash multiple times. Um, She was, you couldn't get her out the door uh, to go play on Saturday mornings. And so uh, eventually I thought at one point, well, okay, well, what if I let you wear your leggings and a tank top underneath and we can, as soon as the game's over, you can take your uniform off. And she was like, okay. So she wore the headband. She didn't wear the hat. She wore the headband. She wore the clothes underneath her uniform. And she would go to the game and she would stand there. And as soon as it was like game over, she would rip those clothes, you know, that uniform off and stand and proud in her tank top and her leggings. Um, And very shortly after that, she told us she was a girl. And we believe her. Oh, boy. Lord have mercy. Anyway, you heard it right there from the mom. Uh, I'd love to get your reaction to that. I don't know that four-year-olds are able to make that decision. Uh, And if they did, again, I had a four-year-old in pre-K. And I remember her saying when she grew up, she wanted to be a doctor and a watermelon. And she was dead serious. So, I mean, kids have very active imaginations. And I I would not... um, Unlike this mom saying that she believed her, I I wouldn't take that at at face value. I'd say we have to have a conversation. Um, Again, four years old is not nine years old. Nine years old is not 12 years old. 
Uh, but four years old is four years old. And that seems to me too early and too uh, tender of, of an age to even entertain these topics. But I want your opinions on that. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. The Sacramento Bee is reporting again that another Norfolk, Norfolk Southern train has derailed, this time in Michigan, according to authorities. And uh, no fuel spill here, but, um, you know, it's still a... Looks like an accordion, this thing, and it's horrible. Um, you know, thoughts and prayers to everybody there. I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but it's just odd that, you know, they're happening so often. And, you know, it just makes you think, well, what what is going on? Like kind of like uh, Pat in Arizona mentioned earlier, you know, is it the the tracks are no good? Is Are these old trains? Like, you know, what gives? What's going on? Why is this happening? Let's go to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Galesburg, Illinois, W-G-I-L, Tim. What's up, Tim? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Evening, Rich. Uh, I just got off of work. I work for a railroad, local railroad here. Uh, when I got in the truck and I heard you talking with Pat, and then you were talking about the railroads and the you know, your theories and stuff, and then I'm, I'm pretty open to stuff. But as an employee for a railroad, uh, we've seen how this has went. Uh, derailments happen much more than what the general public knows or has ever reported on. We go to derailments all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's nothing new. It's getting worse because of what you guys were talking about, the infrastructure but railroads are, are granted millions and millions of dollars every year by the United States government to right. repair that stuff. Uh, they, they usually don't. Uh, <laughs> where that money goes and what they do with it, who knows? You know, anybody's guess. Uh, but the other thing that, that really that people need to understand is, and they, they got a little bit of taste of it this year with the contracts, and, and they got to see what the United States government, the Congress and the Senate and President Biden stepped in. Uh, it's kind of like when something's overpopulated, you know, natural selection takes over and nature will take care of things. Well, by our government siding with the railroads and not letting the labor union strike, whether you're a union or not, it makes no difference. You've, you've just given the railroads immense immense power to basically do whatever it is they want to do. They, they run wild. Right, because uh, now they're unchecked. Right, they're unchecked. And the only way to check those, those corporations that way is when labor, uh, you know, strikes. You, you take the ability to make that profit away from those companies for so many days, then they have to make a decision. Do we listen to our employees and do we go this route? Or, or are we going to, you know, be hard-nosed and drive the stockholders' prices down, the shareholders down on the market? 
And right now, the shareholders uh, are are just uh, very, very wealthy. They're they're just getting great returns on all of these railroads because railroads have been allowed to run wild. Uh, there's only four uh, Class One railroads in the United States: BNSF, Norfolk Southern, CSX, and Kansas City Southern. Uh, there are seven total. Canada has two. Mexico has one. And that's who's hauling all your freight. And yeah. the other thing is, because of the railroads, Rich, being allowed to do this, they're hauling only the freight that makes them the absolute most profit. Right, because they have the right to say, ah, you know what, we'll do that later. <laughs> we'll make more money on this, so let's go with this. So the next time you go to buy a dozen eggs or buy chicken or something like that or your beef and you can't figure out why the prices are going high, there's a side to inflation that a lot of people are not aware of. We won't haul grain. Right. Because grain is a low profit for the railroad, but yet the cattle and the chickens and stuff need the grain and, and the food and stuff. So the the uh, poultry and the beef suppliers and the dairy producers are hurting because our railroads won't haul it. They have no civic responsibility. They, they don't care. It's yeah, all about no, the profit. And they don't care to disrupt the supply chain is what it seems. And I learned this honestly firsthand when these contract negotiations started, not this past year, but the year before when uh, they were holding Christmas hostage, if you remember. And uh, there was some last minute deals and they put it off until this most recent, uh, you know, um, melee that they had. But I, I found it fascinating that the, the, the whole port in California and then the, the trucks weren't up to, to spec when they got things off of the trucks and, and they couldn't get it onto railroads if they couldn't get it onto trucks because they couldn't get out of the port. It was just, it, to me, it was just fascinating how the, um, the, the whole ecosystem was working. And I thought, man, this is not good. This is not for the people. It's not controlled really by we the people. It's kind of like we're all kind of subservient to this mafia. Uh, of uh, of people in in transportation, and I don't know that that's entirely changed, and I don't know that's entirely accurate, but that's my assessment of it. And uh, it's it's a tough situation to be in when you're hoping that the free market will take over, and you realize there is no free market because of the finite nature of railroad companies and the limited amount of of service they can provide. You're 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 very correct, Rich. There there is there isn't a free market here. It's a monopoly and duopolies, and uh, the people need to understand that contract negotiations, like what you were talking about, Chris, is, and and that uh, the railroad employees across this nation are under that one contract. You're talking thousands and thousands of employees, and we hadn't had a raise. Our contract had expired for three years. We hadn't received a dime on our pay increases or anything. When everything was going up, we didn't receive anything. And a lot of people don't know that, but we were all under that contract. I tell you, Tim, it's it's a tough situation, and it doesn't sound like anybody's winning. <laughs> I mean, it's a, maybe just the railroad companies, but uh, it seems like the people and the workers are not uh, winning, and and that stinks. I want to thank you for for giving us your insight because uh, I didn't know a lot about that. And when we had the conversations on the program the last time, there was the whole strike thing. Uh, we got one side of the perspective from somebody from a former Department of Transportation uh, executive, uh, but I we didn't get really any insight from anybody who was on the ground like you, so I do appreciate it. Thank you very much, Rich. Oh, you bet. Have a good night. God bless. Take care and keep up the good work. Now, 
we uh, we talked about a lot of things, and we talked about how children are uh, at least that one child with uh, the mother who was kind of being coerced and taken down a a path to to gender dysphoria, uh, which seemed to have been catalyzed by by a unscrupulous daycare worker. Uh, at least that's what I'm surmising right now. But it was it was sticky. It was unfortunate. It wasn't a very um, uh, simple. Uh, story to get through uh, or piece of audio to listen to. So I want to k- get your calls and uh, thoughts on that as well. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. I also want to talk about uh, Klaus Schwab. He, I don't talk about him that much, but I do bring him up every now and again. He's the real-life Dr. Evil, you know, pinky-to-his-mouth <laughs> type of uh, villainous bad guy. Uh, but he's calling on world governments all over the globe to uh, master, quote-unquote, the technology of artificial intelligence. So we're going to get to a clip of him uh, saying that as well to his band of merry people in Davos, Switzerland, where they have this huge conference. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. The number is 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Or get us online at Rich Valdez on any of the social media, and that's at Rich Valdez with an S. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and it's Open Phone America. You're up next. So in Spain, they just uh, passed a law allowing people to freely change their gender from the age of 16. A few months of after some months of heated debate, uh, the members of parliament in Spain decided to give final approval to this law allowing people to freely change their gender. It's called the transgender law, and the um, radical left-wing party and their allies, the socialists in um, the government there, have uh, – and I'm, I'm reading this from uh, Euronews.com. This is not my assessment that they're a radical left-wing party or socialist. That's how they identify themselves. Uh, and they're allowing people now to change their gender on their identity paperwork by means of a simple administrative declaration from the age of 16. Fascinating. And uh, this also extends the right to 14 to 16-year-olds, provided they're accompanied in the procedure by their legal guardian, and 12 to 14-year-olds if they get the green light from the court. So that's what's going on right now in Spain. And uh, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting uh, scenario, I feel, uh, that, you know, 
this is how they start, right? They start, they do it in Europe, they let it go for a year or two, and then right away they start in California. And New York's saying, look, in Europe they're doing this, and in Europe they're doing that, and they're Europe and Europe and Europe, and they start doing that, and they're like, we're behind the times, we're, we're not with it, and, and this is how things start. And then they'll do it in California, and then they'll do it in New York, and they'll bring it to New Jersey, and they'll do it in Colorado. And before you know it, they'll say, oh, we have it in five states already, and, and boom, these pilot programs will become actual law. Anyway, let's go to your calls. I was hoping to speak with a young lady that was on hold. I think she had to go, uh, but she had a good point about this age stuff and uh, about children deciding their, their own fate. And uh, it's a shame that she's not there. Anyway, our phone number, 833-482-5337. Let us go to Andrew in Sebring, Florida, News Talk 730. Welcome, sir. Hey, Rich. So a few years back, I think it was A&E or Discovery, they had this show called I Am Jazz. Yeah. Right? It was about... I never saw it, but I remember seeing the commercials for it. Probably, you should probably watch it because it had me. All right? It had me. I watched a lot of it, and I, I, became, I became empathetic to that person's plight, you know? And the way it was done and everything, like, it had me. But I got the chance to sit back and... Looking at what's happening now, I come to realize, you know what? That was a show. That's what it is. It's a show. So they're right. totally show us what they want us to see, you know. And they just show you all of the all of the sugar coated stuff in that one right there. They don't show you any of the bad stuff. And that person has now, I believe, or is in the process of the full transition and all that stuff, you know. And right. it's uh, it's madness. And, and and yes, Europe Europe is to blame. Europe is always to blame for our morality in this country. They lost Jesus before we did. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that. There was a whole article recently where they did a study, and the study indicated that uh, all over Europe, I think, it was, but it's focused on the UK and, and Scotland, um, that it was something like for the first time ever, it was like lower than 50% of the whole population identified as Christians. And... Um, it was I, it was a big deal. They made a big deal. It was a big flash in the pan for like a week, and then it went away. Uh, meanwhile, in the United States, we're not that far behind. I think it's sixty three or seventy three percent. It was you know some number that was slightly higher, but not what it once was. And and again, everybody's entitled to have whatever religion they want to have. But when you you have a society, in particular like ours, that is really built on this fabric of of a, a a godly people that left England because they wanted to worship freely and didn't want to be taxed without representation and, and created this country from colonies and and wrote a constitution that in many ways is really um, a tremendously genius extension of the Enlightenment and the Enlightenment's thinkers. And this is how we govern ourselves this document doesn't match the times, right? And this is an argument we hear a lot, and it doesn't. And it was meant to not match the times. I think it was meant to withstand the test of time, kind of like your car note or your mortgage, right? You know, things could change with interest rates and with all sorts of things, but, you, you know, the bank can't call you and say, hey, listen, I know we sold you the house, you know, it's 2% interest, but, you know, 
it's hard right now. Things are tough. You know, rates are up. We're going to raise the rate on you. Unless you have an adjustable rate mortgage, that's not going to happen. Why? Because you're protected by the, the contractual aspect of that document, which is uh, the same way we look at the Constitution, right? We, these amendments are put forth to, to be what they're supposed to be. So, you know, just to, to make a roundabout point about what you were saying, uh, it, it becomes very challenging to to operate a society that is um, challenged with with um, their morality, that challenged with the way they're going to live their lives, and and abandoning religion at the same time. If you know everybody makes the case, yeah, look, I'm not religious, but I don't kill people, and I I, I observe the Ten Commandments. Sure, great. If everybody did that, we wouldn't have this problem, right? <laughs> but lamentably, we do. So I just think it's it's a tough situation that we're in. And I haven't seen the show, I Am Jazz, to get back to your point. But I agree with you. It is a show. And I, I would submit that it was probably a show that aired for one or two or three or four seasons or whatever it was on for the express purpose of normalizing that situation and getting people to empathize and sympathize with this girl's journey so that we could say, you know, Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, because they're only telling one side of that story and it's, um, that's the, the nature of propaganda. And I'm not saying it is propaganda. I'm just saying it's the nature of propaganda. So I think you bring up a good point, Andrew, that it, it is a show and things have changed dramatically and Europe is falling by the wayside and we seem to be following suit, Andrew. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we just all need to pray. Maybe we're the last generation of Christians. That's how I see it. You know, the day that they took God out of the schools, that was the day. You know, if there was a, a, a day to say that's when the first bullet got fired, that's it right there, my friend. And here we are today. Yeah, I hear you, brother. And I agree. I think there should be a renewed focus on on morality overall, whether it's attached to religion or not, is, you know, one's individual choice. Uh, but just teach the history the way it's taught, right? It wasn't like these guys were all atheists. You know, many of them were deists. They didn't claim any particular religion, but they all kind of worshiped God. And uh, th- this 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 document doesn't work without God. So it's it's interesting to, to see how things have evolved. And uh, I wonder what direction they go in. Do we see revival? Do we not? Look at the Enlightenment, right? Uh, that was uh, uh, a revival that I think was unexpected uh, that lasted quite a while and informed a lot of thinkers. But anyway, thank you, brother. I appreciate it, Andrew, in Sebring, Florida. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. We're going to go to Arizona and Ohio and the rest of the calls that are coming in. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, eight three three. For Valdez, that's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
in the U.S. alone, every 40 seconds, a child 18 years or younger is abducted. That means they're taken, they're lured into something that they think is safe. And it's not just kids, it's teenagers, college kids, uh, you know, young women. And so this is this goes on at all levels, higher levels, lower levels, but however you want to call that. But every community has this, whether we want to acknowledge the elephant in the room or not. Oh, that was Andy Berger, who was on with us in the first hour of the program. She's a survivor of human trafficking and uh, some startling statistics. If you missed any part of that interview, make sure you check out the podcast, uh, the digital replay. You can get it online. Just search for it wherever you listen to your podcast or um, streaming audio and search for Rich Valdez, America at Night, and you will hear the entire interview, the whole show, including Open Phone America with our buddies, that uh, have been calling in all evening long. Let us continue Open Phone America, and uh, let's go over to Randolph in Scottsdale, Arizona. He's listening from Pennsylvania on WEEU. Welcome, Randolph. You're on with Rich Valdez. Good evening, Rich. Hey, how are you? uh, The same. Wonderful. I'm calling about a... MTV video 30 years ago from Jane's Addiction. Uh, I'm not familiar a, with them. A uh, drag queen, the video had a drag queen that was pregnant and that would go uh, take things in a grocery store as an identity. And hmm. when I was young, I stood up and I laughed and I pointed because it was so funny because, I don't know, kids like costumes and Halloween and that. Right, and it just seemed kind of uh, incredulous to you, so you were like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, yep. And, you know, I guess one of the recent shooters had dressed like a drag queen and hid all these weapons and things in uh, Chicago was... And and basically did the whole thing by, um, you know, dressing, uh, hiding the identity of who he was and completely, you know, terrifying the, uh, the side of Chicago where that happened. But Wow. All of that. It's a, such a prescient video, right, <laughs> to think that, you know, that happened 30 years ago. Uh, but, you know, every now and again, I come across these clips of video and, and we use the audio on this radio program to, to for those exact purposes where we see things like that. And we say, wow, look at this. This was happening 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago. And it amazes me, uh, even though we see it all the time, it amazes me still that these things were happening then. They're still happening now. Maybe I'm naive to think that they're not going to happen, but I just think it's it's amazing how these movements have grown, and they were so small, fledgling, and and now they're so strong and powerful, and it, it just makes you think. You got to take a, a page from that playbook, you know. I mean, if the convention of states movement or so many other movements that we have, the conservative movement overall, if we were you know as effective as the homosexual lobby uh, or others. I think we'd really be making a way bigger impact than we are. So I think you raise a good point, and it's an interesting thing. But thank you for the call, my brother. I appreciate it. Let us continue with your calls. Let's go to John in Cleveland, Ohio. John, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez, WNIR. Hey, how you doing? Wonderful, thank you. 
Oh, good. Yeah, what year was that when that uh, lady took out the prayers out of school? I believe that happened in the 50s as a result of uh, Justice Black's, um, one of his um, opinions from the Supreme Court. 1962. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was born in 69, and I remember going to school and saying the Pledge of Allegiance still, and just saying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. But I remember it wasn't too long after that 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 kind of stopped. Right. You know? No, you're you're right. And right. a lot of people that are your age and older, they, they constantly bring these things up saying, like, you know, things were a lot better back then. <laughs> and as we've removed it from the part of the national discourse and the, the daily, um, you know, recitation of patriotism and, and just acknowledgement in, in school, somehow um, we've kind of fallen by the wayside. And it makes sense to me. You know, you take something, you know, the Lord's Prayer, whether it—, it do you want to make it an endorsement of religion or not, or whatever it is? Um, it isn't something that is inherently bad in any way. And to remove something like that or one's right to, to practice whatever their religion they want in school is really, um, uh, it's challenging. And that's where they are today, right? You're allowed, some, if, if you're of some faith, they'll, you know, they'll look the other way and say, I don't know, you're allowed to do what you got to do. You could sit alone. You could do what you got to do. But everybody else, they're like, oh, you can't be doing that. You can't have your shirt on that says Jesus. You can't do this. It's just such an interesting double standard, John. It is, really. It, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. You know, back in the day, I don't know if you ever heard uh, the singer Carmen. Um, he's, he's a Christian singer. Yeah, he's, I know Carmen, sure. He, he died recently, no? Yeah, recently. Yeah, like within the last, I think, year or two years. Yeah, yeah, I remember when he passed away. He's yeah, a good singer, good actor, too. Yeah, um, but the song that he sings about, I forget what the name of it, God in America Again. Mm. God in America Again. I don't know if you ever heard that song. But I it haven't. starts out where he's talking about, um, you know, back in the day, you know, student problems was uh, kids... Uh, you know, spit on people, you know, chewing gum, you know. Sure, and, sure. You know, putting gum, you know. But now the the trend is rape and murder and, you know. Yeah, you're right. It, and, it's and sad. Things are, are getting worse, John. And, um, I, and you're right, by the way, right on the head. It was February 16th of 2021 that uh, Carmen passed away. And today's February 17th, technically, because we're in the midnight hour, which is my mom's birthday. And my mom passed away the evening of her birthday so that means uh today big shout out to my mom in heaven and tomorrow another one uh for for getting to heaven so these are usually tough times for me but um thank god i've several years removed from that and i'm not as uh emotional as i once was but uh definitely not easy dealing with the, the loss of uh of your mom and i know you had a comment about kids uh not making up their minds so young about these transitions and i agree with you on that i know you didn't get to it but we're out of time on that one the producers banging on the door telling me to move it along and come back for the next segment so we'll get to the rest of your calls and more don't go anywhere i'm rich valdez this is america at night with rich valdez is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. 
Rich Valdez here. We're wrapping this thing up tonight. Let us go quickly to Albany, New York, WGDJ. Linda, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, When the gentleman talked about prayers coming out of schools, I remember, yes, originally public schools were started to help children learn to be good citizens of this country and to Mm -hmm. appreciate it. And I think if somebody really followed a timeline, that would be when a lot of uh, crime and other things really started taking place in this country when the prayers were taken out of the schools. I agree. I agree. That was uh, kind of the morality exit stage left. And and people argue and say, oh, you know, some of the more, more religious countries in the world are some of the most violent and there's no correlation between a religious society and a moral one. And we can have those arguments all day, but I just happen to have lived a different life. And I've known neighborhoods with really big Catholic churches in, in Brooklyn, New York, let's just say where I grew up. These were the cleanest and nicest, safest areas. Now, it may not be the case anymore because now we have a case where people don't care about the police. They don't care about the church. They don't listen to anybody. So it's um, it, it's definitely a um, an interesting uh, an interesting situation, to say the least. Yes, thank you. Oh, you're welcome, and thank you for your call. And uh, let us go to my buddy Gil in Manila, Philippines. What's up, my brother? Hello, Ricardo. Um, Hola. You had your uh, first hour guest on talking about uh, you know, human trafficking. And my suggestion would be to make it much more difficult for young people to join Facebook and other types of social media. Uh, they have to be 13, supposedly, to join Facebook, but they never ask anybody to prove up their age. Uh, and, um I work for a social media platform here in the, in their call center. And, you know, we were monitoring pedophiles all the time and, uh, they just go, you know, <laughs> right. It's, they take it willy nilly. They take everything kind of easy and we should uh, pay a little closer attention. I agree with what you're saying. And, and you've made this point in the past and I think you're right on. Anyway, thank you, Gil. I appreciate it. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. We'll do it again tomorrow. Hey, guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen.